Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, I want to welcome everyone here this morning to the services of the Liberty Baptist Church. And uh, realize there are probably uh, a number of people that are not able to be here this morning because of the uh, weather, etc. But uh, we're thankful for everyone that is here and uh, safe travels. And uh, we have a few announcements in the bulletin. Uh, the first one on the list is uh, the Christmas Eve service. And uh, if you've not been to that in the past, uh, it's a wonderful time of uh, fellowship and, uh, and uh, Christmas carols. And uh, so invite a friend and uh, let's make it a, a big event. Uh, any other announcements uh, this morning? No other announcements. Okay, I did have uh, one thing I wanted to uh, just mention. Uh, this is uh, a Christmas card for Ian and Miranda. Maybe uh, I'm not sure which was I'm not sure which one was more uh, obvious, but anyways. Okay. So, anyways, we just want to say uh, thank you to uh, Ian and Miranda and for all of the all that they do for us and and uh, being the uh, son of a pastor. Uh, a lot of a lot of late nights and early mornings and uh, uh, emergency phone calls and what have you. So uh, a lot of what uh, what they do is unseen, and we we appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, just a, a token of our appreciation. Um, let us uh, open this morning's uh, service with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and heavenly Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the, for the snow and uh, this time of year and for the Christmas season as we recall the birth of your son Jesus that we might have eternal life. And we just thank you for that. We thank you that we can be here this morning and we thank you for our salvation that we have and we think of those that don't know you and uh, in different situations where we are there's so many people that are lost and don't know you we pray that you would help us to be a witness for you wherever we go and that uh, and that people might come to know you we pray that you'd watch over our service this morning we pray that uh, you would uh, you would speak through Ian this morning as he brings the message in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Our scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm 80. If you'd like to follow along with me, I'll be reading verses 1 through 7 of Psalm 80. 
Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth between, before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. <clears throat> and our first song this morning will be found at 270 in your blue book in front of you. 270, let's stand and sing Joy to the World. Let's sing all four verses. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrow thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love, and wonders of his love, and wonders, wonders of his love. Amen. You may be seated. Good singing. It's interesting how some songs sing, if you will, easier than others. And that one just seems to sing. All right. Uh, and now would the uh, men come forward for the morning offering, please.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, as we gather here today, we thank you for all that you are, Lord. We mm. give back, oh Lord, a portion which you allowed us to have in the first place, since it is yours in the first place. Mm. We thank you for all, and we watch over all who gain tongues today and help you give them guidance when they hear Amen. And if you would remain standing and, and uh, turn in your green book uh, to number six, praise the Lord. Amen. Number six. You made the starry hosts, you trace the mountain peaks, you paint the evening sky with wonders. The earth, it is your throne, from desert to the sea, all nature testifies your splendor. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, sing his grace. Creation, praise the Lord. Raise your voice, you heights and all you depths, from furthest east to west. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You reached into the dust. In love your spirit breathed, you formed us in your very likeness. To know your wondrous works, to tell your wondrous deeds, to join the everlasting chorus. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, sing his greatness, all creation. Sound, let drums and choirs ring out. All heaven hear the sound of worship. Let every nation bring its honors to the King. A roar of harmonies, eternal. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Sing His greatness, all creation. Yeah. 
distant burning stars All creatures near and far From sky to sea and shore Sing out forevermore Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord Amen You may be seated take a moment now to come to the come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. We come to you this morning, Father, and we acknowledge your, your glory and your majesty, that you are king over all things. And as we come, we confess that we, we are sinners, that we have not trusted in you alone, that we have not loved, feared, and honored you with all of our hearts. We confess, Lord, that we've made idols, loving and trusting in and honoring lesser things in your place instead of worshiping you alone. We have not always treated your name and you yourself with the reverence that we ought to. We have not always set aside time to spend in your word and in prayer as consistently or as wholeheartedly as we ought to. And so we now silently confess these sins and any others that you're now placing on our hearts as we come into your presence, our holy God. We thank you, Father, for the deep-rooted assurance that's given to us by your present Holy Spirit that our sins have been forgiven, forgiven out of sheer grace, earned for us by Christ in his death and his resurrection. We thank you, Father, that for those with true faith in Christ, we have been made forever right with God. And that in Christ we have been granted eternal life and salvation. And so for all of this, Father, we, we owe you humble thanks and our very lives. We praise you for this year um, that you have been with us, that you have, um, you have brought us through, Lord, some of us through great difficulty and trial and grief this year. Um, and yet we're here, and we know that you've been with us every step of the way. We pray, Father, that we thank you for your faithfulness. We praise you for your goodness. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to supply our every need. And most of all, to keep us in the faith, day by day and step by step, as we continue this pilgrimage through this world, longing for home and for heaven. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with us the rest of the service. Bless us with the presence and the working of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. After that, prayer is uh, so appropriate to turn to number 705 and sing, It is well with my soul. And let's sing the first and the last verse of 705, It is well with my soul. Uh, 
wonderful song. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like the name to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Text for our sermon this morning is the one that Matt just read, Luke 1, and verses 57 through 80. Luke 1, verses 57 through 80. There's a, a film I liked a lot as a kid called Big Fish. I don't know if any of you have seen it. And, uh, and there's a scene early on in the film the birth of a child, the main character in the film. And those of you who've seen it, I'm sure will remember the scene because as the baby is born, he rockets out of his mother and immediately through the door and down the hallway of the hospital. Now, of course, this is physically impossible. It's, a, it's quite a ridiculous scene, right? Um, but it's an over-the-top entrance into the world of, as you watch the movie, a man who becomes an over-the-top character and lives an over-the-top life. Right? And so his entrance in the world tells you something about the life he's about to live. John the Baptist's entrance into the world had people asking, what then will this child be? What on earth is going to go on with this kid? Based on how he's come into the world, he's going to be something interesting. We're going to ask that question, what then will this child be? And we're going to find the answer in our text this morning. Let's pray as we go to God's word. Father, we ask that you'd be with us by your spirit, that you'd give us clear minds to understand what you have here before us, hearts open to receive it with faith, and hands willing to obey. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what was so intriguing about John's birth that people were asking what then will this child be there's a number of things verse 57 now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son you may remember from the previous weeks even before John was born this is already an extraordinary circumstance Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah were very old we're not told their exact age 80s 90s maybe and an angel of the Lord had appeared to Zechariah and told Zechariah, you're going to have a child. Your wife is going to bear a son even in your old age. The Lord's going to bless you with this miraculous child. And it came to pass. Elizabeth was pregnant. 
And eventually, verse 57, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. You can imagine if this happened in Liberty, Maine, it'd be front page news on the village soup. 80-year-old woman gives birth. It's like this probably be on the, the nightly news, right, nationally. Like this, this is something special. There's something, something unusual going on. And that apparently is exactly what happened in Judea at the time, verse 58. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Quite a crowd gathered at the the birth of this miracle child. Verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. This would have been um, custom in Jewish culture at the time, according to the Old Testament law, that a a male child would be circumcised on the eighth day. Apparently, they'd also waited to name the child until the eighth day. And the crowd that was there, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Kind of presumptuous of the crowd in this day to presume to name the child instead of the parents, but they're a little bit pushy. And and at this point, Zechariah wasn't able to speak. So perhaps they were trying to speak on behalf of his father. Well, we should name him after Zechariah after all. But his mother answered, verse 60, no. He shall be called John. And having read what came before in this story, we know that when the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, he told Zechariah, you're going to have a son. It's going to be great before the Lord. He's going to be used for wonderful things. And you will call his name John. John. Now, Zechariah still wasn't able to speak, but apparently... He'd had enough time in the intervening nine months to communicate to Elizabeth by pen and paper or some some means, right, what he'd witnessed in the temple, and Elizabeth knew very well this this kid's going to be named John. His mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. By the way, if we, if we choose a name for our next child, um, this is not an announcement, by the way, but, but l- Lord, Lord willing, when we have another child and we choose a name, please, please don't come to us and say, well, none of your relatives is called by that name. <laughs> say, that's a lovely name. Leave it at that. None of your relatives is called by this name. And they, not only are they pushing, like, like a kid who can't get a candy bar from his mother, now they're going to the father. Maybe he'll give us what we want. They made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, not he shall be called John, but his name is John, with the note of finality. It's John. I'm not going to do better than God, <laughs> right? He, he told us to name the kid John. We're going to name the kid John. Verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. As soon as all, all that had been promised to Zechariah by the angel was fulfilled, Zechariah was able to speak again. You remember that, that when he'd received this promise, he questioned it a little bit, right? Yeah, how, yeah, right, Gabriel, how's that going to happen? 
and so he'd received the um, uh, a, a sort of punishment, right? That he wasn't able to speak until he'd seen all of this take place as if like, all right, this is the proof. You've seen it happen now and now you can speak. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We have a son, even in our old age. The Lord has given us a child. Praise the Lord. Verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. People were talking as people do, wondering, Who is this kid going to be? Clearly, they recognized the Lord was doing something amazing. Elizabeth had conceived even in her old age, the child had been born. Zechariah had been mute, and now he could speak again. What was going on in all of this? We get the answer from Zechariah's mouth. Verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So the Holy Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, and Zechariah prophesied. And part of what he's going to address here is the role of his son, John. Verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. What then will this child be? He's going to be a prophet of God. He's going to be used of God to prepare the way of the Lord. And what's interesting about Zechariah's prophecy here, which is in the form of a song, is that Zechariah spends most of his time not talking about his son. He mentions John the Baptist in verse 76, you child, this is what you're going to be, you're going to be a prophet. But for most of the song, he's not talking about John the Baptist. He's not talking about his son. He's talking about who his son would be preparing the way for. John the Baptist's role was only a passing one, a preparatory one. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. He was coming before the coming of the Lord to point the way, to point forward. This is what God's going to do. This is exactly what we see take place as we read the accounts of John the Baptist's ministry. That he came and he preached repentance to the people. And the whole time he was saying, one who is coming who is greater than I. In his words, one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. There's someone else coming and he has a better baptism. There's someone else coming and he's bringing salvation. And of course he's pointing forward to Christ. So who then would this child be? Who's John the Baptist? And here's our big idea this morning. Through John, God was pointing his people to the light of a Savior. John had only a passing role, a preparatory role. Through John, God was pointing his people to the light of a Savior. And what I want to spend our time 
on this morning is actually looking at the Song of Zechariah and considering what kind of Savior was John preparing the way for? What kind of Savior was God bringing into the world? Of course, the Savior is Jesus. What kind of Savior? We're going to see two things here. First of all, that John was preparing the way for a promised Savior, and that John was preparing the way for a delivering Savior. The Savior was promised, long promised, and the Savior was coming to deliver. So first, this Savior was a promised Savior. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. In other words, he's shown up. God's people, Israel, had longed for a long time for God to show up, for God to do something. We've spoken of the few hundred years before the coming of Christ as a, as a period of silence where the people were praying to God, crying out in their oppression under great empires, wondering, God, when are you going to show up and do something? And Zechariah is now exploding with praise. Blessed be the Lord God, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's showed up. And verse 69, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Horn in biblical imagery is a symbol of power, of authority. Zechariah is saying that God is raising up a powerful salvation, a powerful savior, specifically in the house of his servant, David. We've talked a lot about David and the promises made to David in the last few weeks, so we won't belabor the point. But God had made great promises to King David in the Old Testament that God would preserve his kingly line forever. That kingly line was broken, and the prophets of the Old Testament said, one who is coming, a Messiah, is going to restore that kingly line and redeem the people. And so Zechariah is recognizing that time is now. That Savior is near. That Davidic king, he's returning. He's coming back. He's going to restore the kingly line. This Savior who was coming was a promised Savior. This Jesus who was going to be born, who John would prepare the way for, was not just a, a spur-of-the-moment idea of the Lord. God had long promised the coming of this Savior. Verse 70 as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. The, the Old Testament prophets had long foretold the coming of a great Savior. Verse 72, to, shore, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. The coming of this Savior was, was the answer to the promises God had made in the Old, old Covenant that he, he took aside a people, Abraham and his descendants, and he took them for his own, and he said, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to bless you, and through the world, and through you, I'm actually going to bless the whole world. And so the coming of the Savior is the answer to all of those promises, the fulfillment of all that God had laid out in the Old Covenant. The Savior that John was preparing the way for was a promised Savior. And this should teach us a few things. First of all, that God keeps his promises. We've 
spoken about this in the previous weeks, but it's, it's worth reminding ourselves. Sometimes we can begin to wonder, when is God going to show up? When is God going to intervene? When is Christ going to return? When is God going to answer my prayer? God keeps his promises. Not always in the timing we would like, right? Gen- literal generations after generations after generations had passed from God giving the promises of the Messiah to the fulfillment. Whole generations of people lived and died without seeing the hand of the Lord. God works in his own time, but he never fails in keeping his promises. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. God keeps his promises. His timing is his own, but he guides the events of history. And he always keeps his promises. The Savior John was preparing for was a promised Savior and also a delivering Savior, a delivering Savior. What was this Savior going to do? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us, this great Savior from the house of David, verse 71, that, so that, we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And then down in verse 73, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This is the promise um, that Zechariah is believing of what what Christ will accomplish. And it's this great deliverance. And any deliverance has two aspects. Deliverance to and deliverance from. Like when you send a package, you you write where it's to and where it's from. And then the package is delivered. In the Old Testament, you look at God's great deliverances. We've been talking about the Exodus in our Sunday school, right? That the people of Israel were delivered from the bondage of slavery to service and worship of the Lord and and being constituted as a people in freedom and eventually in the promised land. Deliverance is always both from and to. And so here, the promised deliverance is that, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. And verse 73, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. This is the kind of 40,000 foot promise to God's people about what Messiah would do, what Jesus would do, that he would save his people from their enemies and save them into worship and service to God. But what does that mean specifically? What enemies was the Messiah going to deliver his people from? Right? Most Jews at the time would have put Rome at the top of their list because they'd been living under Roman oppression, and before Rome, it was the Greeks, and before the Greeks, it was the Persians, right? And before the Persians, it was the uh, Babylonians, and before the Babylonians, it was the Assyrians, right? They'd been living under the shadows of these great empires for long years. And politically, the Jews longed to be freed. And so reading these words of Zechariah's prophecy at the time, they might have said, 
oh, good, Messiah is going to free us from Rome. But Zechariah goes on to flesh out exactly what kind of deliverance Messiah was going to bring. Verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. So John was going to give knowledge of the coming salvation to his people. What kind of salvation? What were they being saved from? What were they being delivered from? To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Mark that. We're going to come back to that. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. What are the two great enemies here that Zechariah is pinpointing as the the enemies Messiah is going to confront? Sin and death. The forgiveness of sins and giving light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. In a way, the the Jews' ambition to see Rome topple was actually a bit too small scale for the Messiah. Jesus was coming not just to defeat Israel's political enemies, but to defeat the the great enemies of human existence, sin and death. And these should both be obvious to us. Death is an obvious reality that we all face. The the darkness and the threat of the dragon death is haunts humanity. Um, And many people try to sort of live in denial of death or not to think of it. But it is the reality that we all deal with. In some ways, the reality of sin is easier to deny because we're easy at, we're good at self-deception and it's it's easy to think of ourselves as as good people. It's hard to deny sin out there in the world. Um, In a way, any time you turn on a news broadcast, most stories are actually about sin. Individual sins against other people in neighboring town. Nation sins against other nation across the world. Political leader sins against the people somewhere in Washington. It's like every story you can almost think of in terms of, in terms of sin. Um, none of us could affirm that the world is perfect out there and that we're all doing well. It's like most days it feels like we're falling apart as a society. Maybe it feels like that in your own family. Right? And if you're realistic with yourself, and if we're realistic with ourselves, right, we actually can't even deny sin in our own hearts and the, the fractured and broken nature um, of our souls. And this becomes apparent anytime we make a concerted effort not to do the things we want to do but know we shouldn't do. Anytime we begin to make some some concerted effort to do battle with our lesser impulses, we we become aware of how bent and crooked our hearts are. And not just in like a surface level way. 
Like there's stuff deep down that's, that's just not right. And these, these two problems don't just exist in isolation from each other, sin and death. Right? These two are, are deeply interconnected, going all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden. God told them, don't eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they ate of it. And they died. And their children died, and their children died, and their children died, and we will die because of their sin and because of our sin. Because our God is a good God, and he doesn't like to see his world ruined and he doesn't like to see his world broken. And the problem with the world is actually in us. We're the problem with the world. We've turned aside from our God. We've disobeyed his commandments. And we're, we're both self-destructive and others destructive. And God is, God is he's actually gracious to let us live as long as he does. He'd be right to cast us all out into the outer darkness today. But he's kind and he's gracious to us because of the tender mercy of our God. Our God is a, is a merciful God. He's a just God. He's also a merciful God. And in Jesus, in the coming of the Messiah, God made a way to deal with these two great enemies that we actually brought upon ourselves. God made a way to deal with sin and to death in the person of his son, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. John's proclamation was, there's one coming and he has a better baptism. He can forgive your sins. And that's Jesus who came into the world, born of the Virgin Mary. You remember this at this time of year, right? The incarnation that God took on flesh, dwelt among us. He humbled himself to become a human being and not only that, to die as a human being, to die on the cross swallowing up in himself on the cross our sins, the wrath of God in our place, dying our death in our place, all those who believe. So that in Christ on the cross, God made a way that we might be forgiven. All of us, not just Israel, not just Abraham's descendants, Remember, the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15 is that through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that's, that's the fulfillment of that is in the new covenant. This is the apostles' proclamation, right? Not just Jews, but anyone who by faith trusts in Christ can be saved, can receive the benefits of the Messiah. That, that, in fact, all those who are of faith are spiritually children of Abraham. So that we, too, can find forgiveness of sins in Christ because of the tender mercy of our God. 
It's Christ's death that underwrites that forgiveness. But Messiah wasn't going to stop there. He wasn't going to stop at defeat of sin. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The shadow of death, the pall which, which lays like a fog over this earth, is not eternally impenetrable. There is light. And that light, of course, is in the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus broke the darkness of death with his resurrection. And that that resurrection power is radiating out from the resurrection of Jesus. And in Jesus, God is resurrecting us, all who believe. And one day he will resurrect the whole cosmos, the heavens and the earth. Jesus is making all things new. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. The darkness and the shadow of sin and death is the reality we deal with in this world. The question is, do you have hope? Do you have a light in the darkness that could lead you home? Christ is that light. He is the, the sunrise which breaks the darkness. He's the, he's the sp spring which thaws the seemingly eternal winter of this world. Christ is the promised Savior. Christ is the delivering Savior. He's delivering us from sin and death, all those who believe in him, to what? Right? Deliverance is from and to. To what? Verse 79 again to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We're not talking about hippy-dippy peace here. This is, this is deep-rooted peace. This is relational reconciliation with God and with man. This is the kind of peace that can only be purchased by the blood of Christ. This is eternal peace with God, with him forever. Holistic peace. And in this life, we experience that peace as we walk with God. Those of us who believe we've been reconciled with God, there's no longer any enmity between us. We've been brought into God's family, and so when we pray, when we read Scripture, when we gather together as God's family, we actually experience the very presence of the God who made us. And there is a day coming, when we die or when Christ returns, that we will be eternally and forever ushered into the presence of God, and we will know the peace of God forevermore. like Herm, like Steve, like so many. Do you know that hope? I'd encourage you this Christmas season to, it's, it's dark out. I think the days might be starting to turn where the, 
where the days are starting to get a lot longer, but, but we have this habit in this, these darkest days of the year to, to put up as many lights as possible, to be just like, <laughs> there's hope, right? <laughs> there's light. Christ is the hope of the world. He's the light of the world. He's, he's, he's the light that we celebrate in this Christmas season. He's the light that breaks the darkness of sin and of death. Put your hope in him this season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you that in this, this dark world, overshadowed by the realities of sin and of death, we have hope of a deliverer, a long-promised Savior who is Christ. We thank you for this time of the year when we can remember him and his humble entrance into the world. We pray, Lord, that in the, in the coming week that you'd lift our hearts up to you, that this would be a Christmas season where we, we experience to a greater degree the light of Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ian was just speaking of the light of Jesus, and it reminded me of the song back in the day, The Light of the World is Jesus. It's not in this hymn book, but anyways, our final song is number 290, As With Gladness, Men of Old, and uh, we do have, <clears throat> excuse me, we do have coffee time afterwards, so please come out and join us. And we'll sing the first and last verse of 290.